I failed to mention this last week, but Lorna was, Lorna Pelton was, she'd been gone. She'd been up in Kansas and, and uh, was sure glad to get back to Texas. I'm sure if you weren't, we're glad you're back. Uh, but she'd been gone pretty much all summer, and I failed to mention she was with us last week. And so, Lorna, it's good to have you back. It truly is. It's a blessing. Um, I will tell you, Alicia Jacobs, it's in the bulletin. They had postponed her surgery. It's going to be on the 17th, September 17th. Uh, her mom is with her, and they, the thought is that she's going to be able to come home on the 18th. So those of you who are, you know, can and will uh, provide meals will be We'll have something in place, a schedule, and opportunity to serve that way. So, obviously, she's in a great deal of pain. Just keep her in your prayers. Danny Alewine, of course, always continuing to fight the good fight with uh, the difficult fight uh, with this cancer. I also want to mention to you, uh, it's really special, and you have to stand up, April, because you just have to. April, stand up. So, amen. You know, she, uh, she and Scott Cronauer have something in common. They, they fought the same thing and that same cancer. And uh, this church is, certainly we've been in prayer for you and, and you're an encouragement. It's a huge encouragement to see you here this morning. We're grateful. We love your family and we love you. And uh, you have indeed fought that good fight as well. It is good to be here this morning. I, uh, Julius Plotz, uh, Norman G. Panthers, they won their first football game last night against Bremen, or Friday night. And uh, so uh, Julius had five tackles and one sack. And uh, so that's good. Wasn't four, wasn't six, it was five. That's good. And uh, so that is good. Football season is, for the time being, is still... Uh, happening in the great state of Texas. So it's good. It's good to be here. Our Awana program starts this Wednesday. Is that correct? Yep, the second. And then Sunday school will start September 13th, back Sunday school here. So, and that'll be uh, September 9th. We've got several families on the road right now. And uh, as you look around, they're gone. We just need to be in prayer. We are. What a great series of uh, leaning on the Everlast, just leaning on the everlasting love, the arms uh, of Jesus and children's moments and love and prayer and patience. What a good way to start the first day of the week. Uh, so open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. I'm going to read verses uh, 1 through 4. Um, Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 through 4. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise, and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred. Read that again. There will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, your people, Michael, the great prince, um, Daniel, uh, God's people, your people, everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. We're going to talk about that this morning. I believe with all of my heart um, that a Christian should have assurance. We ought to be able to read a statement like this and then from, from Scripture itself, uh, the inspired Word of God, we ought to be able to know. We ought to, we ought to be able to say in our heart, that scripture has taught us 
uh, who, who in fact will be found written in the book uh, and will be rescued. Verse 2, And many of those who were asleep in the dust of the ground uh, will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. And those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. Now go to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. I will tell you that uh, over the years and as uh, we've gone through scripture and studied it and my own personal studies and I, I would have to tell you uh, there, there are a handful of places in the Bible. We just read one, the one we're going to read now. Uh, this one in particular for me, there's a weight to it. There's a heaviness to it. In fact, I would say to you that if you've read Genesis through Revelation, if you'll put this passage that we're going to read, uh, I think you could, you could uh, any place in Scripture on a personal study, you know, you could, Genesis, have a study on creation. You could go through with all the wisdom literature, the prophetic lit literature. You could certainly, in Scripture, there's all kinds of doctrinal things, that it, topics that can be discussed. Uh, but when you look at the Bible in its entirety, God's Word in its entirety, there are points in Scripture that, that speak louder, that, that overshadow, that even connect in many ways, uh, but that there is a weight to them. There is, a, there is a level of seriousness to them. There is a, letter, a, a, a level of application to them, a personal application. Uh, there is a dread, a certain, well, not a certain, but there is a dread uh, to them. Uh, there is a very poignant uh, point as you read uh, this passage, a passage like this that uh, should draw, draw our attention. And so... Uh, Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. That's all we know, isn't it? Earth and heaven. We're on the firmament now. We stand, we sit, we walk, we see. Um, Paul wrote to the Romans, the invisible attributes of the creation, uh, that God is known through them. So we know the heaven, we know the earth, now, you look at the magnitude or the weight of this statement. So John, in his revelation, he saw a great wide throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence, the presence, earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. Just, you could just camp right there and look at the magnitude of that statement. We continue in verse 12. And I saw the dead and the great and the small standing before the throne, the dead, great and small standing. Just consider that imagery. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. Now you go back to that Daniel 12 passage. Daniel, uh, very clearly in this portion of Daniel says, there's going to be a judgment. People, God's people will be rescued and it will be based upon who is written, who is found written in the book. So now we, here we have Daniel's revelation or his, not revelation, his visions, the visions that he 
uh, interpreted, they were sealed. Revelation, they're unsealed. And so, verse 13, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. This is an Old Testament. This is New Testament. This is New Testament. And every one of them, according to their deeds, were judged. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. I, I don't know where you're at spiritually, I could guess. But I, I don't know. Uh, each of us, just as Scripture determines, we ought to be examining ourselves daily. Um, I wish we were all so transparent with each other that we could genuinely know uh, where we're at emotionally, intellectually, spiritually. Um, but in many ways, we live very private lives. But here's what I do know. That... God has apportioned the time for us to be born and for us to die. He's apportioned the time that we will be judged. And he has. And either, and either we or his people who will be rescued because our names are written in that book or we won't be. And I can't think of anything more important for you to, and I to consider than, than, than that in and of itself. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I do know that each of us here, there's probably something you're struggling with. Um, and it may be family related. It may be financial. It may be health. It could be any number of things. But as long as we live, we're going to struggle. We just are. We'll have joy, but we'll also have struggles. And so I don't know what significant thing is going on in your life, and it could even be success. I mean, we have a lot of significant things that bring us great joy, whether it's marriage or uh, maybe uh, graduating from, from college, starting a bit, I don't know, all the significant things that happen in our life. Uh, but, but I want you, in light of those two passages, I want you to consider something. If, if you say that you're a Christian, if you and I profess that we're a Christian, um, and you read those two passages, if you believe that the Bible is without flaw, it is irrefutable. I mean, if you believe that, um, and when you read passages like this, I would just say to you, no matter what's going I don't know, no matter what significant event is taking place in your life, can you imagine anything more significant than the reality of these two passages? Everything that we're experiencing here on earth is what, what we would say is temporal. It's, it's temporary. But the Bible talks about the eternal. And part of, I believe, spiritual warfare, and I am convinced of this, part of spiritual warfare is, uh, is us spending a lot of time, wasting a lot of time on things that are not important. Like the proverbial, the dog chasing its tail. And I believe that's part of spiritual warfare. I do. I just am convinced of that. If Satan can distract you and I. And, and when you think of spiritual warfare, 
I had this conversation with Tammy uh, this, maybe this week, maybe yesterday. You know, we, we tend to think of sin, we think of sin in pretty graphic ways. I think we would all agree that murder and rape and theft and, you know, all those things, maybe we're not sure that gossip really is a sin. I don't know. Envy, pride, anger. Uh, but we could probably all, and hopefully our list of sin would be the same list that God says, well, this is sin. I mean, this is what it is. Um, but when you think of spiritual warfare, there is the sin, temptation that leads to sin. I get that. But what about a wasted life? What about all the time that we spend in our life spinning our wheels on things that we think are significant? Solomon said it best in Ecclesiastes. He said, it's just all vain, everything. It's all vanity. He, he withheld nothing from himself and he said, here's my conclusion. It's just vanity. But our hair gets gray. Our blood pressure grows up or goes up. Um, families fall apart. Marriages end in divorce. And all the things that take place in our life, and then we strive. It's like striving after the wind. We get to a point, and the older we get, we may think, what was all that time and energy and stress and all those things that I was so easily offended over, all those things that I've, I've discussed, or all those things that, that, that just have created some, I don't know, magnitude of stress and drama and importance in our life. When you put it in light of these two verses... And then you put it in light of the reality of just living our lives under the umbrella of spiritual warfare. And you start to measure it and you think, what is really important? I better get one thing right. There better be one thing right. I better understand one thing. I better. If these verses are true, I mean, if they're true, and I have to believe that they are true, when you read them, there should just, an, an alarm ought to go off. And I was sitting here thinking, just I said, you know, it's like we're just kind of waiting, and uh, we don't know. And, uh, and Jesus said, when he was questioning about the times and the epochs, he said, I don't know. Only my father knows. He said, but I am going to tell you, when this moment comes, there'll be a judgment moment. And it's going to come like the thief in the night. You, you better be prepared. Jesus teaches parables on that. It's going to happen. The trumpet is going to sound. The heavens are going to open. Christ is going to appear. We will all be before him. And we will. And we'll be judged according to our deeds. And if your name is not written in the book of Lamb or the book of life, what waits for you and I is disgrace and everlasting contempt. Disgrace and everlasting everlasting contempt. And then Revelation says, where the worm never dies and the fire, the consuming fire, never ends. I said last week, I, I really, if you were to ask me the thing that I learned early on in ministry, the thing that um, I would have to say it did. It caused me the, no doubt, 
um, a serious level of concern like nothing else um, was that I would, I just said, I spend time with Christians that were dying in hospice care. I know, Don, you probably deal with this a lot, or you certainly, I'm sure we haven't talked about it. But I remember being young in ministry years ago, and, and, a, and a gentleman said, Preacher, I need to talk to you. And it's one of the moments that you cherish as a minister, but it's very, um, I mean, it's so important. I'm having a hard time even communicating what it is. It's heavy. There's a weight to it. And this gentleman said, I was born 70-something years earlier. He said, my family were Bible-going folks, Bible-believing, church-going folks. He was a rural guy. He said, I, this may be hard for you to believe. He said, but when I was born, 70, I think 77 years ago, and this has been 20 years ago, he said, when we, we had the conversation, he said, uh, you know, we were bo- born on the farm. And he said, I was born on a Tuesday and I was in church on Sunday. It was making a point. And I knew him. I had spent years with him in the church that I was at at the time. He said, I've gone to church my entire life. He said, I was baptized at age 12. I can't remember a time in my life where I wasn't in church. He said, our family, it wasn't. We, we didn't, church was never a casual. Church was something that you, you didn't do 50% of the time or 75% of the time. It's what you did 100% of the time. And he said, so I've ta- I couldn't tell you how many times I've taken the Lord's Supper. He said, I, I couldn't tell you how many times in all the hymns that I've sung and the prayers that I've heard and the sermons that I've listened to. And then he said this. This was the exact conversation. It's how deeply etched it is in my uh, mind. He said, and here I am dying, and I don't know if I'm saved. I was probably, I think I was around 30. I was in my early 30s at the time. So it's been longer than 20 years ago, yeah. And I have to tell you, I, I, as a young minister, that shocked me. I thought, well, how could that be? Now that was, uh, so that was, that was uh, about 30 years ago. I've heard that and had that same conversation um, now with, and this is a safe number, not exactly the same, uh, but uh, I, I can tell you that Christians, professing Christians, have conveyed to me that same thought uh, over well over a hundred times over the years of ministry. I've had a Christian said, "You know, Brother Rogers, I, I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know." And so, when I read these verses, and I think that there's something said here, and it is these are the heaviest places in Scripture. To me, they are. They're the most poignant, demanding, heavy, resonating. I, I can't imagine when Daniel wrote them, inspired by the Holy Spirit, 2 Timothy 3, 3 16, or when, when John wrote it, inspired by the Holy Spirit, I, I had to wonder what was going through their mind. 
These weren't just words that they were writing. This was a, this is a, what we might say apocalyptic. The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown in the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, I don't know anything that you could, if you believe that, if you've thought about it, that could be any, what could be, you just tell me, because you and I don't know. Second Samuel in chapter 2 and verse 2 says, God kills and God gives life. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, none of you, wouldn't any of us shouldn't be worried about anything. Be anxious for nothing. Because which of you by worrying can add a single cubit to your life? The very days of your life are numbered. But we don't live that way. We live aimlessly. I read this, the, the, the guy, the Black Panther guy, uh, 43 years old. He's dead. And I remember watching one of those Avenger movies, and it's just a picture of health, 43. And that's just, you can just go every day, read the obituaries. And those of us who have gotten a little older, I know one thing for sure. You know, you, this thing is over quick. You don't know it when you're 15 or 20 or 25 or 30. You don't know it. But I'm going to tell you, you wake up one day and you think, that's my children. That's the 31-year-old child that, you know, it just seemed like they put that baby in my hands yesterday. You've got a senior over there, the Thurmans. I mean, she's going to graduate this year. Julia's going to graduate this year. I used to tell those football players, I said, the ones that were seniors, I said, tell the freshmen how quick this thing is over. That last game, that last game of your senior year. It's like, man, all the two-a-days and all that stuff in the games, and it seems like I was just a freshman, and now it's over. And those are things in our life, but it's the same thing in our life. And if you're a Christian and if you believe the Word of God, the Word of God says this, either your name is written in that book or it's not written in that book. And if it's written in that book, it's going to be real good. And if it's not written in that book, it's going to be eternally, eternally tormenting. So, here's my desire for this church, for myself, for all of us, is you and I need to have assurance. The statements that are made in Scripture... They're not, these statements weren't made so that people could just well guess then, well, I don't know what's going to happen. I will, maybe it'll happen. I hope I, I hope my name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Well, I've gone to church my whole life and I've been baptized and, you know, I don't drink and smoke or cuss or run with the gals that do. I don't know. How righteous can I be? Well, I'm obviously not enough. There's entire, entire, entire passages of Scripture <laughs> donated to that reality. There's no Romans 3. There's no, there's not one that's good. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. So I can't work myself into heaven. Well, how could I be saved? Well, I think I'm a pretty good guy. Well, this is where we're going to start, church, because I hope and pray over the next, and we're doing this with our youth group on Wednesday night. I, if, if anything 
as a minister needs to be accomplished, and I mean this through the teaching and the ministry of the word, is that that congregation, wherever that preacher is or the leader, you need to be able to know. Your children, this congregation, be able to, you should know. You should never have to be that guy that is 70 years old and, and, or, or anyone at any point of their life and say, you know, I just don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I've tried to do this and I've done this and it seems like I've done this. Or, or maybe you're the other way. Maybe it's like, well, you know, really, Paul wrote the Romans. There was this thought, and you go to chapter 5 and verse 6, there was a thought by people that said, well, you know what, we're saved by grace. I guess I'll just keep on sinning. And, and Paul even said, well, so should I sin, continue to sin that grace may abound? Well, may it never be. So, yeah, I don't know. It's all over the spectrum, isn't it? How do I live as a Christian? Is my salvation, can it be sure? There is a book that's written. Now, we're going to start there. Here's the first thing that has to do with our assurance. There is a book. There's a book. That's the way it's described in the scripture. What that meant to the Hebrews and even uh, the New Testament writers is that there, there was a standard. There was something. There was no guess. It's described as a book. Now, whether you believe that's literal or not, okay. But what they knew was that something was inscribed. A name was inscribed. Your name or my name. Every soul that had ever been formed by God, there would be a judgment. And God has authored. God has determined. God has inscribed. This person is mine. This person will be rescued. This person will be saved. And this one will not be. It's a book. But here's the first thing you need to know about that book so that your assurance can be sure. Now this is huge. It's his book. Church, I want you to stop. It's his book. Now assurance starts there. What I mean, it's not your book. It's not my book. God determined before what we'll see in Scripture, <laughs> before you and I, before the foundations in the, the foundations of the world, God determined there's going to be a standard, and He'll set that standard, and it's His book. I think too many times the way we live is we feel like maybe we've got some input into that thing. It's our book. Or it's his book and my book. <laughs> no, it's his book. And it, it, we need to start there. So look at these passages on this hand that. Because I want assurance. You should want assurance. Malachi chapter 3. And I just picked out a handful. Just a handful. Malachi 3, 16 through 18. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And the Lord gave attention and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. Remember he said he's going to open up these books and then there's going to be this book. And, and he says, and a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. And they'll be mine. Your people mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I prepare my own possession 
and I, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. Let's just start right there, church. His book. His book. And he is the author of the book. And he determines who's in the book. The first thing, church, and this is a theme, Old Testament, New Testament, is you and I better fear him. And I have to tell you, you know, the scripture in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7, those who fear the Lord are the beginning of knowledge. Now, we do get into John, and John would say later on that perfect love uh, drives out fear. But you and I cannot. We will not. It's not possible to know God, have a relationship with God, not be in religion, but have a relationship with God unless you fear him. Now, the scripture says in Romans 10, do not say who will ascend. And do not say who will descend. You and I as Christians, we do not have the right. We do not have the God-given biblical right to say that person's going to heaven and that person's going to hell. Thank God we don't because you and I are not capable of that judgment. And the scripture commands us, Paul does in Romans 10, not to do it. We are not to do it. But the scripture also says that you'll know them, why? By their fruits. Galatians in chapter 5, you go to 1 John. How can you say you love the Lord and you don't love your brother? You are not one. You won't be his people. Not my word, his word. So we know. I'll know them by the love that they have for the brethren. For one another. I'll know them by their fruits. But it's still not my call. And it's not your call. But I'm going to tell you folks, from where I stand, this book of life, what I have witnessed, and Paul, and I've said this before when he writes to Corinthians, what do I have to do with those outside the church, the sin outside the church? He says, no, it's none of my business, God will judge them. But all those letters, all of them, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Romans, Acts, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, the seven churches that Jesus is going to address in Asia Minor, and that's where we're heading. Book of Revelation. I'm going to tell you, those, Paul wrote those letters because the professing Christians of the day were hateful, disrespectful. I have to say this. You know, the reality is when you read the weight of the, then those who feared the Lord, spoke to one another. And the Lord gave attention and heard it. And a book was written. A book of written. And was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. Let's start right there. Look at yourself. You want to talk about assurance? It's just a starting point. Talk about assurance. Blessed assurance. Being able to look and say, you know what? I, I believe that I'm saved. I don't believe it. I'm sure of it. I can examine myself in light of what the Word of God says. I know in my heart of hearts I fear Him. And I esteem His name. I am sure of that because I know where my heart is. But you then conversely ought to be able to say, maybe I'm not sure 
if we're going to deal with the scripture, because my life really doesn't indicate that I do fear him or esteem his name. I do when it's convenient. I do when it serves me. But I don't do it like he did. Sermon of the Mount. He says, you are to love your enemies. It's easy for a man to love somebody that's lovable or that we get along with, but you ought to love your enemies. See, and only the fear of the Lord and esteeming him will inspire that in you and I. What else could? I mean, really, what else could? But you read these passages, and it ought to be a litmus test. Here's the, here's the book. He's the author. He owns it. And this is who he says is going to be written in the book. I'll spare them as a man spares his own son and who serves him. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And let me ask you another thing. You say, well, I serve the Lord. Really? Okay. Well, who are you doing it for? Because it makes you feel good? You need recognition? I'm just... We ought to be challenged if we see the weight of these words and here now is this kind of this book of lamb, the book of life standard here, his book. He's just telling you, Betty Crocker's got a book and it's full of recipes. Those who feared the Lord, they speak to one another. They esteem him. You can hear it in their language. You can see it in their lifestyle. You can distinguish between the righteous and the wicked. Between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. I'm going to tell you what, church full of people, they're serving. I don't know if they're serving God. God does. But after a while, that can become evident too. You say, well, why would you say that? Because if I understand this correctly, judgment, judgment is at stake. And then righteous and wicked. Boy, you want to talk about a concept that the churches, many in the church have completely missed, is the concept of righteousness. We could just do a sermon, we could do two months of sermons on that. I've asked this question for over three decades in Bible classes. I've said, tell me what, uh, what makes a man righteous. And the number one answer I get is well, those who do the, uh, are obedient and do the will of God. And that would just be wrong because that's not what the Bible says. It says we're our righteousness that he, he establishes it, but we're, you know, his righteousness, but on the basis of what? I had this conversation, what makes a person beyond reproach? According to the Bible, that's an evidentiary statement. Well, it's not that you live your life without sin, because you can't do that. You just can't do that. In Luke 18, there's this great story of this contrast between the Pharisee that goes to the temple and says, Lord, he's at the temple. He's a Bible-believing, knowing, obedient. Thank you for not making me like other men. Because I am obedient, and I have based my righteousness on that obedience. I know what the Word of God says. 
I live according. You know, we have demonized the Pharisees. Now, I have to tell you, I think if you were alive 2,000 years ago, we've demonized them because they've become demonized because of our, you know, the way we think and, and, and approach that. And we see it today in 21st century America. But if you'd been alive 2,000 years ago, the people looked out on those Pharisees and they thought, these are the guys. These are the guys in, under this Roman oppression that they've got it together. They're brave and they're wearing the phylacteries and they can know the scripture and they're teaching and counseling us. And, you know, these guys are, you know, they didn't see them the way we see them. But Jesus would say, woe to you. John the Baptist would say, you brood of viper, who's warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You need to bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. There's a whole series of thoughts there. But church, you better hear this. Righteousness, the righteousness of God is based upon the justification of the sinner who is at the temple and said, dear Lord God Almighty, not even able to look and says, have mercy on me, a sinner. You know what, being, listen, none of us here could be beyond reproach. It wouldn't be possible. It's not biblically possible. And I can give you the evidentiary, uh, do the exegesis on that path. There was a statement. It's almost like a biblical riddle, but the riddle had an answer. It meant that what can, how will you or I be able to stand in judgment trying to discuss with God on an evidentiary basis that I'm beyond reproach? Good luck with that. <laughs> Here's what it is. When the Bible talks about righteousness, and I could preach two months of sermons on this, it's when a person does the will of God to the best of their ability because they love him. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my command. And Jesus knows the motivation of your service and your perceived righteousness. And you and I should know it. Jesus desires a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Written in the 51st Psalm, David, after his great sin with Bathsheba. And you know what made him beyond reproach? We always talk about his sin with Bathsheba. We don't even think about the murder, the capital murder of Uriah the Hittite, one of the noblemen, her husband. But David was a God after man's own heart, and David would be beyond reproach because David said, Oh Lord, created me a clean heart. Against you and only you I have sinned. My reproach is always <laughs> before me. Mm. Mm. I'm out of time. I just am out of time. I'm going to just continue. Not today. But biblical salvation is based upon one thing. God saves. God saves. He saves. Not you, not me. It's his book. Not yours, not mine. He saves through Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. I'm going to spend the next six months because I, I promise, I want you and I to be absolutely sure because there is assurance. There's, there, you, God never intended for you and I to get to that, that point 
and say, now we will be humbled. We will see the earth and the heaven fleeing when that cloud opens. And we hear that shuffle, that trumpet. And we, we probably, the only thing really, obviously we'll be able to say Jesus is Lord. Every tongue will confess. Philippians in chapter 2. But we're just going to be so magnificently humbled. And I believe if we understand God's very clear intent and how he saves us, that you and I in that moment can be absolutely sure. It won't be a surprise when the name is spoken. It won't be, well, I hope my name will be. Maybe it will be. It'll be, oh. But you can be sure when you understand that God saves through Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, but you better make sure you understand biblical grace and faith I'm going to tell you what, we got the biggest, weakest, mealy-mouthed servants of grace. You don't talk about needing eight sticks of butter to make a cake, and that's all wrong. I don't know. You say Christians talk about grace and faith. I mean, it's like the proportions and the way they're talked about and the way they're mutilated. It's ridiculous. It's certainly not biblical. They're bywords that is all very easy for us to accept because they really fit a platitude that really builds me up. So my endeavor as a pastor of this church over the next six months and however long it takes, we're going to go, we're going to keep, it doesn't matter how long it takes because I want you to be sure. I want you to know in your heart, oh my, my name is written in that book. And you'll be sure because God's word leads us to that assurance. And I hope that I can do and we can do that honor. I hope that we can honor it. I hope that we can do it justice as we move through. These are exciting times. I tell you, I'm, I'm seeing God open doors and open hearts and ministry has become just exciting. It's always been a blessing. But it's exciting. But it's also I'm I, I, uh, there's a sense of urgency. It's urgent. So as we move to that place together, I hope and pray that God gives us eyes to see and ears to hear. Take these handouts. You're going to get them every week. We're going to put them together in kind of a fashion book. I've got a bunch of stuff on Revelation I'm going to give you on this thesis that I'm preparing um, just uh, when you go to Revelation 3, 4, and 6 this will be the last verse and, and then we'll pray Jesus is addressing the church in uh, Sardis in Revelation one of the seven churches he said but you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments they've not soiled their garments and they'll walk with me in white for they're worthy they're worthy. Jesus said that although your sins be as scarlet, I'm going to make them white. White as snow. You got a few people that haven't soiled their garments. They walk with me in white and they're worthy. 
He who overcomes shall thus be clothed in white garments, and I'll not erase his name from the book of life. And I'll confess his name before my Father. This is Jesus Christ speaking, and before his angels. Now, church, we end here today. We pick up again. This is where we'll end. This is where we'll pick up. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I want to challenge you to read John chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. We're going to go and back and forth and all these verses about God saving and over the, as I said, as long as it takes. I hope you've been challenged this morning. I hope you've been able to consider the weight of those words, the words about a book. His book. Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, thank you for our time of worship this morning. Father, um, it's just such a blessing um, to see April Smith here this morning. I, that's what's on my heart right now. My brothers, my sisters in Christ, the family that you've given us that meets here to worship you, the songs that we have praised you with this morning, our elders' thoughts, our children's moments. I pray for the, your powerful protection over, the, over, the, over your people here, Father, your people throughout, throughout the creation. Help us, Father, to be your people. And we pray these things through the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.